Good morning. Welcome to Shepherd of the Lakes Lutheran Church on this second Sunday after Epiphany. Today we see John the Baptist standing at the bank of the Jordan River about a day or so after Jesus' baptism, and he points Jesus out as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We'll consider that in our sermon today. The service is outlined for you as always in your service folder. We'll begin with hymn number 394 and continue in the front part of your red hymnal on page 26. God bless your worship. We continue in the very front portion of your red hymnal on page 26. Please rise. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. God invites us to come into his presence and worship him with humble and penitent hearts. Therefore, let us acknowledge our sinfulness ask him to forgive us. Holy and merciful Father, I confess that I am by nature sinful and that I have disobeyed you in my thoughts, words, and actions. I have done what is evil and failed to do what is good. For this I deserve your punishment both now and in eternity. But I am truly sorry for my sins and trusting in my Savior Jesus Christ, I pray, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner.
God, our Heavenly Father, has been merciful to us and has given His only Son to be the atoning sacrifice for all of our sins. Therefore, as a called servant of Christ and by His authority, I forgive you all your sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. For all that we need in life, and for the wisdom to use all your gifts with gratitude and joy, hear our prayer, O Lord. For the steadfast assurance that nothing can separate us from your love, and for the courage to stand firm against the assaults of Satan and every evil, hear our prayer, O Christ. For the well-being of your holy church in all the world, and for those who offer here their worship and praise, hear our prayer, O Lord. Merciful God, maker and preserver of life, uphold us by your power and keep us in your tender care. The works of the Lord are great and glorious. His name is worthy of praise. Lord, Let us pray. Almighty God, you gave your one and only Son to be the light of the world. Grant that your people, illumined by your word and sacraments, may shine with the radiance of Christ's glory, that he may be known, worshipped, and believed to the ends of the earth. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns one God, now and forever. You may be seated for the reading of God's Word. Our first reading comes from Isaiah chapter 49, the first six verses. 
The Messiah is a weapon in the hand of God to accomplish God's great task. Listen to me, you coastlands. Pay attention, you faraway peoples. The Lord called me from the womb. When I was inside my mother, he mentioned my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. He hid me in the shadow of his hand. He made me a polished arrow. He concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my glory. But I myself said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength and gotten nothing at all. Yet my verdict is with the Lord, and my reward is with my God. But now the Lord, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to turn Jacob back to him, so that Israel might be gathered to him, so that I will be honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. The Lord said, It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and restore the ones I have kept in Israel. So I will appoint you to be a light for the nations, so that my salvation may be known to the ends of the earth. This is the word of our God. Our psalm for today is Psalm 89, as found on page 98 in the front part of your red hymnal.
Our second reading comes from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, the first nine verses. This is the first reading in a series of eight that we'll have over the next few weeks. We see here that our Christian blamelessness comes from Christ alone. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, who are called as saints, along with all in every place, who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of the grace of God given to you in Christ Jesus. You were enriched in him in every way, in all your speaking and all your knowledge, because the testimony about Christ was established in you. As a result, you do not lack any gift as you eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also keep you strong until the end, so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Our theme verse is printed for you there. Alleluia. He said to me, You are my servant, in whom I will display my splendor. Alleluia. Please rise for the reading of the Gospel. Our Gospel lesson comes from John chapter 1. Christ is revealed as the Lamb of God, that is, the culmination of all Old Testament worship. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I was talking about when I said, The one coming after me outranks me, because he existed before me. I myself did not know who he was, but I came baptizing with water so that he would be revealed to Israel. John also testified, I saw the Spirit descend like a dove from heaven and remain on him. I myself did not recognize him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, The one on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, he is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this myself, and have testified that this is the Son of God. The next day, John was standing there again with two of his disciples. When John saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned around and saw them following him, he asked, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He told them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. They stayed with him that day. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his own brother Simon and say to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated, 
the Christ. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus. To you, O Christ. You may be seated for our next hymn, number 86. Dear fellow redeemed, we consider especially our gospel reading from John chapter 1. If you remember back to last week, and if you've been keeping up with us on our Bible reading, 
You may have noticed that it says 2016. It's actually 2017. We all know that, except for me, apparently. You'll notice that we're working our way right now through the book of Genesis with kind of an overview of salvation history as we move from creation to the fall into sin to eventually, this week, getting to Abraham and his descendants. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Joseph. As God progressively narrows the scope from looking at creation and the world in general all the way, he narrows the scope down to this one family through whom he will bring that promised Messiah. And no doubt, as you read and as you listen, perhaps there's just a little bit of a disconnect because these people lived 4,000 years ago. And their worship seems so very different from ours. We hear again and again how Abraham and Isaac and Jacob would purchase a plot of land and build an altar there, and they would offer sacrifices. And we read that, and yeah, we kind of we get it, at least mentally, that they offered sacrifices, and that was their worship, and okay, sure. But there just feels like, feels like a little bit of a disconnect. Because it feels like their worship is so very different and not quite the same as ours. Thankfully today, John the Baptist clears that right up. Because when you get down to it, the worship that they had in the Old Testament was basically the same thing that we've gone through this morning. A little bit of an explanation. You take a lamb, place your hand on its head, and confess your sin. I have been selfish. I have allowed indecent thoughts to linger in my mind. I have said things that I shouldn't have. I've just been, you know, impatient, a terrible person, just confessing the same sins that we confess. Lord, I am by nature sinful. And I can't do it myself. And their worship would take on the form of slaughtering that lamb and burning it up. Very viscerally appealing to the senses to say that, yes, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. But yes, this perfect lamb means your forgiveness. Not that the lamb itself brought the forgiveness, because God doesn't need lambs, but that lamb pointed ahead to the Messiah who would come. And so as you go through your reading this week, you encounter this family, Isaac and Rebekah, who after 20 years have this pair of twins, Jacob and Esau. Esau is the older one. And no doubt they did their best to raise them well. But Esau ends up being the unbeliever, and Jacob is kind of the believer, at least that's the way it seems. And there's just this family strife. And when you think of the worship, and you think of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and these are the people that God has used and chosen to bring his Messiah into the world at some point down the line, there's a little bit of a wondering. How can there be such a family feud in the family of God.
Jacob and Esau squabbling with one another. Esau saying, I'm going to kill you, Jacob. Jacob fleeing for his life. And Isaac and Rebekah trying to smooth things over and patch things over after they had messed everything up. How could there be such a family feud in the family of God? And what would be the solution? It's basically the same thing that we'll see in the book of Corinthians. That church in Corinth, roughly 2,000 years after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That church that kind of said, well, I follow Peter, I follow Jesus, I follow Apollos. A church divided and not really united around any, any central idea, just people squabbling and competing with one another to say, well, I've got a higher spirituality, well, I am a better Christian than you are. Just the competition back and forth. And again, you might ask the same question. Why would there be such a feud in the family of God? And what's the solution? Not that family feuds are anything we aren't familiar with. Perhaps you know (laughs) your own family, your family of origin, the, the people who are related to you by blood. Maybe there was a squabble a few years back or a couple decades ago, and now you don't really talk to that person anymore. Maybe there's just some sort of a disagreement, or maybe there's something that is still ongoing and brings heartache and wonder and just a longing. Lord, (laughs) I'm trying to do what's right, and I don't get it. Because it doesn't seem like things are turning out the way that you want them to turn out. We don't have to stretch too far to sympathize with Isaac and Rebecca, whose twin boys (laughs) promised to kill each other. Or perhaps we consider our own church life, which most of the time it goes well, and as long as we... As long as we show up relatively close to the service time and smile and say good morning to a couple of people, then it feels like everything is absolutely perfect and sailing along smoothly and there's nothing to worry about. And why would I ever have to feel any bit of discomfort? Because things feel like they're going well. As long as I keep my involvement at church to the 65 or 75 minutes between 10 minutes before and 5 minutes after church, then it will feel just fine. Maybe not. But it doesn't take too much of a stretch to see and know what the Church of Corinth also went through, which addresses the same question. How is it that sinful people with their own sinful hearts and their own emotions and their own attitudes and their own private squabbles, how is it that God could build people from such different backgrounds or such similar backgrounds into a body, the body of Christ? How is it that God could bring people so that they are so close to himself that he calls them members of his own body. Because if, um, 
We talked about this, I think, either at the ranch or with the ladies at the beginning of the month, that when we use that term, the body of Christ, that we are members of the body of Christ, the picture isn't that each of us individually kind of makes this body, but rather that each of us individually is brought into the body of Christ, where Jesus calls you and me members of himself, where he has united us so closely to himself that he calls you and me his, his brothers and sisters. He remembers your name before the Lord God. But behind it all, the same idea keeps coming back. If that's who I am, then why doesn't it always feel that way? And if that's who I am in Christ, and if that's who my, my family is or my church family is, then why would there ever be any sort of a squabble or disagreement to say anything of the, the family feud that we see with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Esau? But most of all, what's the solution? John the Baptist <laughs> tells us. He began last week, and he began back in Advent, if you'll recall, calling to those who would listen. The Lord is near, so produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And then they were baptized. And he would call to, to anyone who would listen, including the the leaders from Israel who came out to him to investigate who is this John dude? What is he doing? Is he the Messiah? Is he the prophet? Why is he baptizing? And he talked to all of them with the same message. Whether they were the, the high-born or the re religious elite of his day, or simply a slave who happened to be walking by, he approached each of them with the same message. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. Be baptized. And look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Because whether we're talking family feud or occasional church disagreement, it all stems from the same source. The sinful heart. And we don't have to go seeking it out in somebody else and recognize, well, that person wronged me, so therefore this is their fault. Actually, no. The sinful heart right here is so easily offended and so easily pins the blame elsewhere that we must kneel before our God and say, Lord, I confess that I am by nature sinful and that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. And at that, John takes you by the hand and says, dear friend, dear Christian, you know what sin is. Now look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Not just the sin of the family of Abraham. Not just the sin of those who heard him that day or happened to walk by the cross on that Friday, but the sin of the world exactly what God had talked about in Isaiah chapter 49, that it was too small of a thing. <laughs> God almost laughs. It's child's play to call back and call together simply the, the tribes of Israel. 
He says in verse 6, I will appoint you to be a light for the nations so that my salvation may be known to the ends of the earth. In other words, Jesus came to be the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. And when you hear that, it's not just some concept of the world and the people out there and those that we might have a disagreement with. You can substitute your own name there. Look, the Lamb of God, who has taken away Pastor Hagen's sin, actual sin. Look, the Lamb of God, who has reconciled each of us to himself and brought each of us into his body, the church. How? Because he took away the sin of the world. And when he says the world, you could just go right on down the line, right on through the pew. He took away the sin of every single person. There is no doubt and no one left out. And all of a sudden, perhaps you start to get the sense of where and how we do our work and especially where and how God does his work. Because he has given that proclamation to you and to me. Not to, to say, if you change your life, and if you have the right feeling, and if you decide, then God will forgive you. No, the proclamation of Jesus Christ has taken away your sin, simply because you are part of the world. And Jesus Christ has brought you to himself. And there is no worry or no doubt. And there is no wondering, am I included? What about (laughs) that? Jesus knows it. And he took it away. To say, dear child of God, you are forgiven. Which kind of brings us back around to the beginning. How do we deal with kind of that... That sense of how we want things to be and they're not that way. We approach it the same way as John the Baptist, with the same two tools. And in fact, Jesus Christ himself has given those two tools to you and to me. We call them the keys, the announcement, the the call to forgiveness, the call to repentance. Child of God, fellow Christian, Turn away from what you are doing. And because you're distancing yourself from your Lord and you're putting yourself in a dangerous place, child of God, the Lamb of God has taken away your sin. And that's an object of fact, whether you believe it or not. So child of God, let us live together in in unity. And even though we might have some disagreement, that in no way should affect the unity that we have together. Because, in effect, what that disagreement ends up doing is us pointing at each other, pointing the other way for other solutions, when we should all be standing together, standing there with John the Baptist, arm raised high, voices raised together. There, (laughs) there is the Lamb of God who has taken away the sin of the world. Let's follow him. Let's find him. And where necessary, let's repent of the sins that separate us from him so that we may stand together 
in His love and under His forgiveness. Because this Lamb of God has taken away your sin and mine. Do you see the the kind of humility that John kind of builds into our life right here? Where we don't bring anything to the table. The forgiveness wasn't something that we earned ourselves or even had to give to the Lamb of God. But the Lamb of God foreshadowed and pictured so often and so well in Old Testament worship. The Lamb of God came and He took it. (laughs) He took your sin and mine and said, Dear child, here is your perfection. Thanks be to God. Amen. Please rise. And may the peace of God that goes beyond all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I invite you to turn to the Nicene Creed on page 31 in the very front portion of your red hymnal. The Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation he came down from heaven was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became fully human. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who in unity with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. You may be seated as we worship the Lord with our offering.
I invite you to turn to our prayer for the church on page 32 in the front part of your red hymnal. Page 32, please rise. Gracious God and Father, we praise you for the countless blessings which we receive from your hand, the beauties of creation and the bounties of the earth the joy of life and the pleasure of friendship, the good of work and the gift of rest, the privilege to share happiness and sorrow with one another. Above all, we praise and thank you for your saving word and for your Son's body and blood, which you give us to eat and to drink in this sacrament. Through these means of grace, you send the Holy Spirit into our hearts and unite us to Jesus and to the whole Christian church on earth. Great God and Lord, without your continuing help, we easily waver in our faith, lose courage, and grow careless in our watchfulness. The times and days are perilous. Give us strength to face the evils of each day with fresh confidence. Open our lips to speak of your grace and to move us to use the gifts that you give us to share your word of salvation with all people. Protect and prosper the family, the school, the government, and all good institutions that you have established for the benefit of society. Remember in mercy those who are sick and suffering, and bring your healing to troubled homes and lives. Now hear us, Lord, as we bring you our private petitions. Now, eternal God and Father, keep us in saving faith, and so enable us to overcome all things through our Lord Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We continue with the sacrament. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In love he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. In the past he spoke to us through the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, who is the radiance of his glory. Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and thanks and honor and glory forever and ever.
Our Lord Jesus Christ, in the night he, he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. O Christ.
We continue on page 36 in the front part of your red hymnal with our song of thanksgiving. Please rise. Thank Lord. Hear the prayer of your people, O Lord, that the lips which have praised you here may glorify you in the world, that the eyes which have seen the coming of your Son may long for his coming again, and that all who have received in his true body and blood the pledge of your forgiveness may be be restored to live a new and holy life through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Brothers and sisters, go in peace, live in harmony with one another, and serve the Lord with gladness. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. You may be seated for our closing hymn. 